Welcome to The Hive from Tejitosa Sustainable Travel, a podcast for meaningful travel stories. We invite guests who have traveled abroad for more than just leisure travel, be it internships, volunteering, or study abroad, either as solo travelers or as part of a group. We also talk to local communities who receive and host these travelers and measure their impact. This is a podcast chronicling sustainable travel. My name is Wesley Maraire, Business Development Executive at Territorial Sustainable Travel and your host of The Hive. Today I am joined by Jan Brooks, a professor at the University of Illinois at Umberna-Champaign. I always mess that up, but I think I may have gotten it right this time. Jen, thanks very much for for joining me. You're welcome, and you've got it right this time. <laughs> so one one fascinating thing is when when you first when I first got introduced to you, you said, "Well, I teach what used to be called home economics." Tell me more about that. How we used to say it, and how we say it now. All right, um, so in the US, we had land-grant colleges back in the day, and uh, it was typical that men would, would go study at university and the women stayed home, and women said, no, we want to go to college too. You know, we, we need to study at university. And so some of the first areas of study or majors of study open for women um, at these land-grant colleges in the 1800s were for the study of home economics. And that included, you know, consumer economics for the family and food and nutrition and childcare and development and uh, family relationships and all of these things. And over time, um, different departments have, have been called, um, you know, family education or um, all kinds of versions of this. And right now my department at the University of Illinois is still anchored in the College of Agricultural, Consumer and Environmental Sciences. And it is called Human Development and Family Studies. And many of the students who study in our department um, are looking to go on to graduate school in areas like social work, medicine, nursing, occupational and physical therapy, uh, counseling, um, sometimes family law and child advocacy. And so this is kind of uh, the realm of students that are coming to study with us now. Sometimes they have trouble finding us. They don't expect to find us in an agricultural college um, at a university, so to speak. But this is not atypical in the U.S. among those universities that were begun as land-grant universities. All right. No, thanks a lot for that, Jen. And <clears throat> One of the things that, uh, I don't know if this is popular uh, knowledge, but you are a study abroad faculty-led groups guru, and you've been at it for a while now, um, and with a specific focus on South Africa, but you've been to Zimbabwe as well. And today, I'm hoping to tap into your knowledge so that we can provide some information to faculty, to students, to parents, as well as providers who are interested in faculty-led programs. And to kick us off, I wanted to just start broadly and say, what are faculty-led programs? 
All right. So a faculty-led program from a university or um, in, in the U.S., we would also have um, community colleges that may have study abroad offices and will run um, student exchange programs where students cross over for a full semester at another university in another country. And a faculty-led program then would be a more short-term program. Mine runs about three weeks. Ten days is typical, anywhere up to about a month. Um, and we take a group of students and then we go together and we guide those students through whatever um, programs, information, immersive experiences in the country we're visiting that we set up and intend to do. And so um, there's usually something beyond tourism that we're looking at, whether it's education systems or um, medical studies or environmental studies or animal science studies. And for me, the focus has been um, kind of a range of, uh, I bring students that, that are interested in medical careers and also um, social work and counseling. So we do a pre-departure course before, so the students are very connected with the education that they're receiving through this trip and that they're prepared to go and interact appropriately um, in these countries so that they know cultural expectations and I like my students to know historical perspectives. Um, so because those so heavily affect um, socioeconomic um, outcomes for those countries and um, sort of the social landscape that we interact within when we visit another country. And then there's always the beautiful tourism on the side that often plays into what we know about the environmental things going on in that country or the history of this country or whatever that specific field of study is. And I, um, I absolutely include students from any field of study on my faculty-led program, but at the same time, they know when they come to my program, um, the pre-departure course and the class discussions we have during the trip are going to be related to children, families, um, and often medical or social work related career fields to prepare them for work in those fields upon graduation. So when you lead a faculty led trip, you go through your study abroad office on your campus and they will help set up connections if you need them. It's nice if you already have connections in another destination like I have with you. Um, because that gives you the opportunity to sort of land on your feet with that group of students and not have to feel your way around. You have somebody to meet you at the airport. You've got sort of an itinerary. Um, you've already got somebody on the ground who has helped you set up um, accommodations and activities to do. And for us, the internships that you guys at Tiratosi provide for us. And so that's really helpful for me. Um, if someone wanted to do this and didn't have any contacts yet, um, they could look for a provider like you online and then ask their study abroad office, you know, for help in making that connection. Or they could simply go to their study abroad office and ask them for help. And there are people there who are prepared. It's their job to help make those connections and help organize the travel and there's always a process for intake of the students, whether it's an application um, or a registration that students must go through. 
And then you've got your study abroad office that's going to help advise students with all the paperwork they have to have done before they can go on this trip, reminders of how to go about applying for a passport, a visa if you need one, and um, your, your university is going to want to be sure that everyone on your trip um, is a student in, in good standing, a faculty member in good standing, has all the paperwork they need filled out to solve any kind of problem regarding health, safety, um, accidents, insurance, um, just messed up travel, anything like that that goes on, um, you've got your study abroad office to help with that. But the faculty-led program itself is one in which there is a one or more faculty leaders that accompany the students on the program. Brilliant. And that's sort of the definition of slow travel or sustainable travel. And I think I don't know if you do it deliberately with the culture and, and, and the immersive uh, program. In, I don't know if you do it deliberately to tick off all 17 sustainable goals, but you are. <laughs> and it's, it's really amazing the work that you do in, in setting up the, the, the program. Do they attract credit, um, the faculty-led programs that you lead? Yes, mine do. Um, most faculty-led programs uh, probably do. You'd have to check with your own university to be sure. Um, but it's interesting that you, you mentioned the sustainable development goals. Um, one of the best ways that I advertise to students that I'm doing this program and they're eligible to apply for it is through an introductory course to our area of study at the university in which I tie in how does our major, how does your field of study, how do your career goals specifically tie into the sustainable development goals? And because I work this trip so that it does meet at least several of those um, and make students more aware of it and get them interested in how they can contribute. Um, and maybe their contributions down the road in their career will be at home, but it's also great to get them involved in international uh, problem solving and development in some way, or at least get them thinking about it as they go about their career planning. So, right. yes. Right. And so if I take you back a little bit and say, when you set up your first program, and I'm taking you over a decade ago, do you remember the steps you had to take Take me back to that so that we can try and trace the very first uh, sort of trip that somebody would be thinking about uh, putting together. Sure. Um, it's interesting that uh, my route to this was fairly coincidental. Um, when I was an undergrad and I mentioned study abroad, my parents weren't too fond of the idea. Um, and I even mentioned Peace Corps once and my mother said, over my dead body. <laughs> so when my own daughter was a university student, an undergraduate um, in anthropology, and she broached the subject of study abroad, I immediately said, yes, of course, wherever you want to go. <laughs> and uh, her studies brought her into thinking about somewhere on the continent of Africa. And uh, she came up with a couple of opportunities and in the end selected South Africa. She did a semester exchange as an undergrad at the University of Cape Town in South Africa. Mm -hmm. And while she was over there, I had no intention to go and horn in on her trip or to visit. 
called me one day and said, you know, Mom, some of my friends from University of Wisconsin have parents, one even a grandparent, coming over for a short visit. Would, would you like to do that? Maybe you could come while I'm studying final exams. And I just thought, wow, my daughter is offering to, she's inviting me to come to South Africa Bye. to see the and to see her, how can I not go? So I bought a plane ticket and off I went. And when I was there, she was careful to take me off the, the beaten tourist track and into some of the township tourism, the, the um, areas that many times tourists didn't go or were even advised to be afraid weren't safe for them. Mm-hmm. But she had gotten to know um, local people and they were working on sort of sustainable tourism and making a living from showing people their areas, the way they built their community gardens and had organized um, daycare preschool for um, some of the neighborhood kids who needed that support. And um, then one of the drivers who she had organized to take me on some tourism while she was doing a final exam one day was asking me questions about my own work and the students that I support and took me to a public health clinic clinic and just showed me around and got a nurse there to kind of explain um, how they serve the community. And so I was, she also required reading of me, my daughter. I had to read Long Walk to Freedom by Nelson okay. Mandela for one thing and complete that book before I came because she wanted me to be um, a thoughtful um, tourist and um, approach the people in South Africa with some knowledge of their history and cultures. And so um, it's, I really owe this all to my daughter. Um, But I came home from that program and talked to my department head and said, you know, um, I'm not aware that we have any study abroad programs that are affiliated with our department, and I don't know much about them, but I have to tell you about what I've seen and the people I've interacted with, and I think it would be just amazing if I could bring a handful of the students who have already taken courses with me Um, on child development, and we could lend an extra hand, certainly not in a way that would take anybody's job, but go maybe when we were able to just, um, you know, lend extra hands when their staff was short, and approach this in a way, not that we're going to, um, quote unquote, save the African babies at all, because, (laughs) but we have so much to learn about these programs that are already running and being staffed, especially by women that I had come in contact with in some of the township areas that were thriving. And I saw many parallels to what they were doing and the child development theory and practice um, that I was teaching my students. And so I thought we could do some learning both ways. And I knew from the start we would probably learn more than we were able to contribute, but I think that's what it's all about. Right. going, you know, we do, we do service trips. Some, some programs are considered service trips and mine has been. Um, and it's nice for a student to put that on their resume. At the same time, I make certain that my students go with an attitude um, that we are learning from experts in the field, in their own spaces, using their own resources. And we have so much to gain from that. And just the 
friendships that are that are born of that and the the maturity that students come back home with the thoughtfulness about larger global problems and the ways that people are already working to solve them is pretty cool so yeah and after that uh, my department had said well jan um, go over to the campus study abroad office and tell them i sent you and tell them to set you up with a program i'm delighted we've never had a study abroad program under our own department's wing before. That's kind of how I got started through my study abroad office saying, yes, we'll support you. Here's what we need to do to get students to register for your program. And here's how the flights should work. And here's how the, the students are billed through our office. So you don't have to worry about that, Jan. And we'll be fully insured, all of you, when you go. And then you take emergency phone numbers so that if you encounter any problems, you know, you can call us. And uh, we just took off with it then. Um, at the time, there were some programs, faculty-led programs at my university that were going without a pre-departure course. But I was very committed to putting in a solid pre-departure course as my daughter had made sure that I understood the historical constructs around the country before I went and how to interact ethically and appropriately with the people I met, um, I wanted to be sure to do that for my students. And since I was already teaching faculty in my department, I just asked to open a new course so that all of the students that were going on my program then were required to enroll in this eight week pre-departure course and then we wrapped some of the study abroad safety um, information that the students were required to have right into that course with South African history. Yeah, and I am still holding on to uh, convincing you to record your pre-departure course so that we can open it up to all the students who are coming without having gone through that pre-departure course. <laughs> We'll see. I've considered making an e-text out of that. Um, but you know, historical perspectives um, at this time in the world are sometimes changing. And it bothers me a little bit to take the colonial version of history and reproduce that in my course as this is the only history. So we're, we're thinking, about how do we take a better look at everyone's perspective in that history based on what some of the older published writings are. And that's changing right now. Mm -hmm. And so um, when I got ready to organize my trip to Zimbabwe, I came to visit you first. It's really nice if a faculty leader is able to visit their destination for sort of a pre-planning trip without students the first time. And I was actually able to come twice. Um, to mm -hmm. do that, once briefly and then another with serious planning involved. Um, and that made it much easier for me to hit the ground running with students and have the students see that I felt sure of myself, sure of you, and I knew what our program was going to be like. Um, students really want to know what to expect. And they ask questions all the time, like, how long will it take to get there? But what are we going to do next? When will we arrive at this destination? When will we leave um, this activity? What will we do next? And you know, it isn't so much about them needing to know those things specifically. It's about their feeling of ambiguity and their discomfort 
with ambiguity, especially when they're far from home and we don't know for sure what to expect yet. And so that's part of the learning process for them, but I've come to understand it as kind of their need to feel secure and know what's expected. We all do that. If I need to doctor's office, I want to know what's going to happen, you know? And so I like best is the one who's going to explain to me what this procedure will be like and what, what I can expect. And as faculty leaders, we kind of need to do that to the extent that we can with our students. And at the same time, there are going to be things that we all are not comfortable with, myself, the students, because you never know. You could have a flat tire on the road, which had happened to us. Um, you, know, you could have weather mess up your travel plans or your activity or your tourism plans. Um, you could be visiting a medical clinic and they have an emergency that day. And you have to roll with the punches. And that sense of ambiguity is not comfortable, but that's where we run into the good things. That's where you run into somebody who takes the time to talk to you about their job in the medical field. Or you run into um, you know, an extra spot to visit to take up time because you can't go somewhere else. And you have the best historical tour that you could have gotten or the most immersive experience with people that you will actually stay connected with. And so you have to be open to these things, but also provide that scaffold so the students feel secure and comfortable doing it. I know you set up the Zimbabwe program is one of your latest um, programs. Are there technical things on the university side in as much as it may be different from university to university? Probably so. We all, though, have this common denominator of a study abroad office who is already set up with the purpose to support those technical things. Mm -hmm. They will have an application process already, already sorted out. And in today's technological age, they're going to have a platform that's all set up for intake of the students, uh, processing of the students' applications, I want to have a little control myself on that. And so when I have, my, my programs have become popular so that I typically have more applicants than I have spaces for in a program. And so I do want to uh, be one of the people along with study abroad office staff who read those applications that come in. I want to screen out students who seem to be going for the full purpose of tourism. Um, and looking for those applications that actually talk about how much I want to learn and how this immersive experience is going to um, support my career. Mm -hmm. And so I also found that it has helped me um, to have small group informal interviews with those students. Um, I found that students can write, I can figure out how to write exactly what we want to hear, but <laughs> to see those students interact with each other when I throw out questions that begin to give them a heads up that there's going to be some ambiguity. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they're going to need to have some flexibility, um, especially with the timing of things. Um, for example, in Zimbabwe and in South Africa, if, you're, if you go to dinner at a restaurant or an event or you're a guest somewhere for dinner, that is meant to be your evening's entertainment. Some of my students are more accustomed 
to faster food meals and a fast pace of life mm-hmm. and not thinking about that deeper conversation that's going to go with the meal. And so, you know, I want them to realize that the, the whole event is going to be a little bit different than going out to dinner at home. It's not going to be rushed. You're going to have starters. You're going to have some conversation. Um, you may be offered a drink. Then you'll, you'll have your main meal. And when everyone is finished with that, there might be dessert orders taken. And that all of this sort of flows nicely with the conversation through the evening and it is never rushed. Mm-hmm. Even the wait staff in a restaurant will use sort of a different, there's a different code of behavior there. Mm-hmm. And I want to sort of give my students gently a heads up and ask them, well, if you were on a program and this happened, how would you feel about it? What would you do? You know, I asked them um, if you were a visitor at someone's farm and you were learning about sustainable agriculture um, and they offered you a meal for lunch and this meal included, and I will name some foods that might be um, customary at that destination. So, you know, what is it then that you would do if you had never seen those foods and you were nervous about trying them. It is important and it it is expected that you will try those things and and that you'll be respectful and that you might really offend your host if you're not willing to try it because it looks different than the food you've had at home. Right. That must be a tough conversation to have. Um, (laughs) Primarily because I can imagine if I were the student sitting across the table, I would be thinking, what would she want to hear so that I can tell her? But that is bound to throw somebody off um, because it's least expected, isn't it? Sure. And typically we'll have a small group and we'll be laughing and joking around by then. It's very informal so that students will begin telling stories about the time when their family went on vacation and the food wasn't as expected or the timing of the trip wasn't as expected. Um, And so I just asked them some questions. You know, I asked them if there was a time when they ever just felt out of sync with the person that they were talking to or working with or what it felt like to, to have a roommate when you arrived in your residence hall, your first day at university, and it was a stranger, someone that you didn't know or you didn't choose. You know, how did you feel? What did you do in, in order to get comfortable with that situation and get to know that person? So I just want to see their responses to that and see, it'll give me a sense of who's flexible and who might not be flexible. It might give me a sense of who um, is really open to working with um, and participating with peers and also people on the other side of a variety of cultures, languages, races, um, spiritual beliefs, as opposed to those who might be more narrow-minded or even discriminatory. And so that will give me a sense of who's flexible enough and approaching this from a learning standpoint to come on this program and who I might not like to necessarily select for my program. I would like to bring them all. It also gives me a sense of what do I need to cover then to a greater extent in my pre-departure course. Right. Is it simply etiquette about interacting with others when you get there? 
And then I find that I have students that are from such a diverse range of experiences and communities here at home. Mm -hmm. They all come into the program feeling like, oh yeah, we're, we're all University of Illinois students and we're all the same and we're all coming here with the same purpose. And as soon as we begin interactions abroad, I will start to hear their responses. For example, um, a health clinic or a hospital in Zimbabwe. And I will hear one student say, oh, you know, this, this is very different than at home. This health system seems to be very behind ours. And then I will have another student also on my same program say, oh, no, it's not that different. Have, have you not ever been cared for in the Chicago public health system? It's very similar. Uh. And so we begin to, to feel the diversity in our own group. So while we're learning about the diversity abroad and interacting with people and growing from that, my students are also beginning to really listen to the perspectives of each other here at home and realize that they do have similarities, but they also have differences. And these make great conversations and it's going to really help us bond. And so these students, begin to build a cohort, even in our own group, in our own accommodations in the evening, when you think the interactions are over, you know, the service work is over, the internship work is over, but the learning is still fabulous and it's still going on. One thing I have learned in that though, is I cannot push that conversation. I can't really make it happen because they'll say what they need to say to please me, okay? But I have learned over the years, and it took me a long time, I was very uncomfortable with this at first, to hear students disagree a little bit or to hear a student say on, um, you know, a township tour in South Africa, oh, this, this is great, I love this experience, I'm so comfortable here, and I'll have somebody else saying, I'm really uncomfortable in this space. And then we go to, um, you know, a, another venue that might have a different racial makeup, maybe not, um, but it's a very different sort of atmosphere and in a different part of the community. And it'll just be the reverse. Some students will be very comfortable there while the ones who were comfortable yesterday are not comfortable today in this kind of setting. And so they'll want to go home or you'll see them beginning to sort of resent each other. And then I see students separate into their own um, comfort zone groups at home, okay? And so I, I, will, I will let that fester for a little bit. I'm, I'm careful not to let anybody get too uncomfortable. But if I bring it up and say, oh, I see you guys segregating according to race in our own program, what's that about? Or if I see them segregating as sometimes happens into socioeconomic groups, who has extra money to spend? on that bottle of wine at the restaurant and who's really watching their book. And I see those students gravitate to each other and I begin to see a separation. And then eventually I'll begin to see somebody uncomfortable enough that a student themselves will bring it up. And then I, I amplify that in a class meeting and get everyone to talk and to share and encourage to listen to each other's perspectives and experiences and talk about why is it that we went to the slave lodge, some of you were uncomfortable. Talk about that. And we'll have students that were all uncomfortable, but they were uncomfortable for very different reasons. 
And it's amazing for them then to be able to articulate that to each other and to hear each other's perspectives. And it tends to draw our students back together. When the students do that, then they're also going to be more thoughtful about their interactions with the people they meet abroad, the people they're working with daily, and truly listening to their perspectives. And they will start to see things through the Zimbabwean lens, through the South African lens, as opposed to just the lens that they've grown up with in the United States. And you know, we have some similarities in our histories. We have some similarities in our, um, in, in our um, sort of civil rights movements and movements to democracy, all rooted in colonialism back in the day. And then those problems have, have uh, come up um, within each country at different times. And although there are parallels, you can't simply take the United States civil rights movement and say, oh, I know what that's about, so I understand apartheid in South Africa. Oh yes, I understand the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Oh yes, I get it. I get it, Professor Jan. I understand what happened in Zimbabwe and the assumptions are not quite right on. And so it's interesting to explore those, those social histories and how that impacts us today, but it's really important for students to open their mind and listen to the experiences and perspectives of the people that they meet abroad. Absolutely. And you touch, you touch a lot of lives. I think just today I saw a post from Sarah who you brought to Zimbabwe actually saying she owes it to you. And I can't imagine over the years that you've been teaching how many lives you've, you've touched um, through teaching and, and through your, your, your programs. How do you then deal with parents? I know you are very amenable to your own daughter studying abroad, but there must be uh, stories over the years of how you've had to deal with parents either before or during or after the travel. Certainly, certainly. And I have fun with those now. They probably caused me a good deal of stress in the beginning. <laughs> um, there was one student whose mother asked if she could accompany us on the trip. <laughs> you know, as a, a middle school or a high school, um, you know, field trip. Mm -hmm. And I know that our study abroad office would have taken that on themselves and said, oh, no, that's not allowed. <laughs> but I was kinder than that. And I conversed with her over the phone. First, always, if you have a student's parent who wants to talk to you about something, you must include the student. We have, we have, um, rules and protocols at the university that we can't have parents go around their own student and ask us for information about them or their grading or even attendance in class. Mm. So if I have a parent initiate conversation, I will reply to the email and ask the student's permission or include the student and make sure it's okay with the student that I talk to their parent. Mm -hmm. And oh yes, my mom just wants to know that I'm gonna be safe or my dad has questions for you, I'm aware, but I always do that step first. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that I'm not breaking any kind of confidences. I did find there was a student who came with me um, to you um, uh -huh. a couple of months ago, who actually came on that trip and her parents didn't know that she was going anywhere until she packed her suitcase 
the day of the pressure. And they oh. didn't know it was to Zimbabwe. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's the student's business, not mine, but it's the only time I've ever been aware of mm -hmm. that. Um, I gently talked to the mom about how her student would gain more knowledge and independence and have a better relationship with her peers or cohort on the program if mom did not accompany on this trip, but I would be happy if they would like to go back another time to right. offer both of them contacts. Maybe her daughter could then take leadership and bring her, her family back over, you know, on, on the program. Um, it would be possible for a family to come over and join their student and stay on after my program ended as well. Um, and I mentioned that that was a possibility. Um, I did have a student's dad call me on the phone and grill me for at least 30 minutes about <laughs> every safety measure, every possible danger. And, you know, I just kept reassuring him. My, my own daughter went abroad and we didn't even have, you know, very good cell phone contact and, and we didn't have WhatsApp and, and, you know, she didn't have Wi-Fi in her accommodation. We just didn't have as good a contact then. And I know, I absolutely know how nervous this makes you. But I also reassure the parents that I'm working with a local provider and someone who's got the solutions to the problem and is on call 24-7 if we need them to solve the problems and reassure them that our study abroad programming and, and even our safety and security office and our provost office has already got all the, the, the scaffolding we need, all the protocols set up, the insurance, the emergency contacts, um, and they're all very, very good at this. And so we usually do okay with that. So mostly those parents, they're just concerned um, that their child will be safe. Right. And I, I'm thinking, you know, as a parent or even as a student, I would be thinking, yes, we talk about, you know, self-development. We talk about gaining confidence. But has anyone ever posed the question, why is study abroad or faculty-led program important? What do you gain? I don't think I've had a student's parent ask me that, but I have had other faculty at the university and other people in my community and our mm -hmm. university as well. Because you uh, must have doubters. Of course. I will have people say, well, you want them to do service work? They can do that here. <laughs> <laughs> Which is true. And coincidentally, almost all of my students have already started doing service work of some kind in high school, if not before. Mm. And if they hadn't, they probably wouldn't be choosing to study in my department. You know, they, they are all looking at helping professions and they've all started this interest early on. Um, but in the long run, those interactions abroad bring us into so much deeper thinking about global problems and how the global situation for all people impacts us right here at home. Um, many of my students have, have grown up in um, inner city, even south side of Chicago, 
and have worked so hard in high school to get entrance into the university and they're going to go back home to their own communities and really make a difference. And then many others of my students have grown up only in urban areas, wealthier suburbs. And so they have not had experience with um, communities that have suffered more disparities over time. And especially, they have not really seen health disparities. Um, and so all of those experiences are going to help them in their careers, in, in uh, the interactions they have when they come back home, even if they're going to be supporting people in their own communities. We're a global society today. And some of these students, if they only had a little exposure, they will be the people that work on solving our most difficult world challenges today in food security, in health, in women's rights and children's rights, safety, sanitation. And so all of these things that take us back to the sustainable development goals. And so those are important. And when it comes to finishing your degree and the competition these students are going to face when they try to apply to graduate programs and the competition they'll face again when they try to get the job, okay? Having had this experience is going to show their, their potential employers and selection committees for grad programs that they have taken on challenges. They have taken risks. They might have been afraid, but they took that step to interact internationally. They've crossed that bridge of communicating with a child or a coworker or a peer that speaks another language. They have experienced what it is like to feel ambiguity and not know the answer to the question and not know for sure what's coming next. And they've learned how to communicate, you know, with people that are coming from different styles of communication and different kinds of communities and uh, different kinds of um, even business interactions. And so those things are going to stand these guys in good stead as long as they live, but especially as they're finishing their university degree and stepping up to the next thing. And then when you go to that job interview and you mention that you've been on a study abroad program, you're going to be asked questions about that. So as the students are leaving my program, I do a workshop with them and talk with them about how do you then present this when you're asked? How do you talk about what you've gained through the study abroad program? Because when students come back home, the first thing they're going to say is, it was awesome. It was <laughs> so great, I can't even explain it. Mm -hmm. But they need to be able to pull out those words and feelings and process the change that's happened within them and be able to articulate that succinctly because that's going to get them the grad position. That's going to get them into medical school. It's going to get them the job. Now, Jan, I need to say thank you uh, for taking the time out to come and speak to me. You've been listening to The Hive from Teachers of Sustainable Travel. I hope this episode has inspired you to seek or to continue to explore travel with purpose. Join our community on social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and please do subscribe so that you can receive notifications each time we have a new episode. 
Tatenda. Thank you.